0: the Santa Barbara News Press radio station. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Kreisel and Diane Duber and I are your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, repeated at 11, and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing offering free competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs american riviera banks smart banking for smart people in santa barbara at figueroa and anacapa street sit in Montecito's upper village and Arlington financial advisors a leading wealth management firm in santa barbara providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution.
1: Hi, Neil. Happy Monday. How are you?
0: Good. uh, Happy Thanksgiving.
1: Yes, happy Thanksgiving. How was yours?
0: Um, It was so good. We have... uh, um, uh, Leftovers. Leftover turkey.
1: Are you going to make a soup?
0: Uh, No, I mean, it's it's not leftovers. I mean, we don't have anything left.
1: Oh, you don't have anything left over. Wow, that was good then. Excellent. Glad to hear it. So before we get into the articles, let me introduce our guest. We have with us today Stephanie Walter. She is the founder and CEO of Herb Wealth. Thanks so much for being here with us. We appreciate it, Stephanie.
2: Thanks Thanks so much for for having me. Um,
0: So uh, our first article today um, is is, an article about Kathy Wood, who is the head of ARC, uh, funds. And I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm picking on her uh, because it's going to, but we've talked about her before. She had one of the best performances of any fund over the last two years and raised literally billions of dollars. And her strategy was to own very few stocks and all of them big name uh, uh, tech companies. Most uh, The biggest uh, holding was Tesla. And an article today has two points that I think is really worth discussing. Uh, One is after an incredible run that put her on the front page of every newspaper last year, for the 52 weeks ending this week, um, she is actually down when the S&P is up 23%, which is an astounding reversal. And we've talked about how Stock pickers and people with, you know, unique uh, strategies will do really well when they do really well. But then things turn around and they keep doing what they're doing. Uh, So the idea of somebody's really smart and really can pick stocks and I want to go with that person, I think, is somewhat suspect. But the second part of this article is really interesting. What she says she's going to do is she's going to start to short stocks in the benchmark indexes of technology companies. And what she's saying is she wants to increase her leverage by staying long the disruptors, as she calls them, like Tesla, and going short against the old guard. So she's actually increasing her risk profile, despite the fact that this year has not turned out uh, to be particularly uh so, so
1: old guard is she speaking of? Like Google, is that considered old guard? What's old guard?
0: Microsoft, I guess, uh, 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 IBM, uh, you know, uh, Cisco, uh, whatever it is. I, I didn't. They didn't discuss her portfolio. But but the point is, when your strategy doesn't work, what she's basically doing is doubling down. Oh, absolutely.
1: Uh, and, totally yeah, and,
0: and investors are you know, still sticking with someone that, you know, we talk about, it, you need to diversify Uh the people who do really well as stock pickers, in my view, are people that, you know, just happen to catch a wave that suits them. And they are always famous people that last for a couple of years, maybe three or four years. And then you see what happens.
1: I think so in this- the music industry, they call that the one hit wonders.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Only these people make more money. Yeah. Uh, that's true. Um, the second article is the discussion. is called "Will Tax uh, Will Taxing End Buyback of Stocks?" And in the Democrats' uh, uh, Build Back Better Act, there is a provision to impose a one percent tax on stock buybacks. And um, you know, one percent doesn't sound particularly. Impressive, but that would result in 124 billion dollars over a 10-year period. You know, companies typically use its excess cash, or even they borrowed money to purchase uh, stock, and that lifts because they're buying. It lifts the price of the stock. And um, the um, you know the irony of it is, good economics says that you raise money from the public because your return. In your business is better than the individual investor and you only return money when you no longer can have a return greater than the investor and what these companies are doing what many companies are doing is buying back stocks and and in the article the people who are against this are saying they're buying back stocks to support the stock price because the executives are paid on the basis of options which uh, are more valuable as the stock goes up so you know whether or not um, it's going to be in the bill, and whether the bill is even going to be passed, you know, is a is a question. But at least people are focusing on, you know, what has been a huge driver in the stock market over the last few years.
1: Right, and we've we've spent much time speaking about those the stock buybacks and how it, it doesn't mean that the company is necessarily doing better it, or doing well in their in their primary line of business, but rather that they have excess cash because interest rates have been so low that they could raise and then buy back stock.
0: Um, The next article appeared Saturday right after what happened Friday. So the headline of the Wall Street Journal article is Route Exposes Perils of Margin. Now margin is simply borrowing money. In the case of stocks, it means that you are uh, putting up your stock portfolio and having the ability for your brokerage firm to use that as collateral and give you more money so you can buy more stock. And um, it obviously margin debt uh, increases your return if you're right. And it gives you little room for error when you're wrong. And margin borrowings in October rose 42% from a year ago to almost a trillion dollars, according to the financial industry's regulatory authority. And um, it's... In this, at least in in the, I don't know how they got the statistic, but in the article they talk about, it's basically individual investors and young people. So it's, it's again, this whole notion of I'm real smart, uh, I don't really have to worry about risk. And now you're increasing that risk, trying to get even more bang for your buck by uh, having uh, a large margin debt.
1: You know, and, and for anyone who's been around um, the, the the stock market for any period of time, like any of the previous um, bear markets or stock market drops, can see what happens to people when they margin their account and the, and the market drops precipitously, like in 2008 or even 2000 and 2001. And so it's it's something that people need to be very careful of, and those margin calls are real, and they liquidate your stock if, if you don't have the money or you, you don't bring in more cash.
0: You know, it's interesting. We're talking about margin as it relates to individual investors, but over the last two or three large bear markets, a lot of what you would think of savvy uh business people, uh, that is, senior executives of companies, had huge gains in the stock that they owned in their companies, and they borrowed against it. It wasn't margin, it was just they borrowed to build a huge house somewhere or to buy a yacht. And so when their stock went down, they got squeezed. And that's why some of the largest, um, uh, or the, the richest entrepreneurs in, in, you know, 2000 and in t- uh, 2008, got really, really hammered, more so than they would have Um, And the last article we have today is index funds get stuck with MEMS. And uh, I'm going to edit the first, even though this is the Wall Street Journal, I want to be careful not to break any radio rules for the FCC, Uh, but it says here, does it matter if your chairman has a small bleep bleep? Uh, The um, head of GameStop, uh, to be funny, uh, t- uh qu- tweeted some comments uh about himself and as a result tweet
1: tweet tweet, Not tweet. tweet.
0: no yes. he, he tweeted he was he was really
1: well, he might have been being a twit but no
0: tweet tw- tw- tweeted is, is 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 like yelling no okay um but uh what happened was the stock went through the roof because people thought it was funny And so what we have here is, you know, which is not that big a surprise, Uh, you know, young people thinking it's really cool, really funny that the GameStop um, executive would be so risque. But here's the purpose of the article. Uh, Some people don't even realize they're exposed to this because uh, both, for example, uh, GameStop and um, GameShop you know, GameStop and AMC Entertainment, the theater owner, they're in the Russell 2000 index of small c- companies. And so is Avis. So when you are put into an index fund like the Russell 2000, you're buying a piece of, and in some cases, a significant part of those index funds are these MEM stocks. So without even realizing it, you're part of this, uh, what I think is craziness
1: yeah well you know and that's that's one of the downsides of owning the index because you own all of it the good bad and the ugly
0: right uh you're listening to money talk on am 1290 kzsb and we'll be right back
1: Please visit arlingtonfinancialadvisors.com or call me Diane Duva at 805 It's, it's important, important to plan ahead, ahead for, emergencies, for emergencies like, like the, the storm. storm. When, when it kicked it in, in, we, we had a plan.
3: Separated. We, we were, were able to get in touch with each other in and no had time. No idea how to find each other. My, My husband, husband kept the kids tried occupied,
1: calling our
0: son, but there was no reception. Everything was down. I felt, I felt like, like we handled crying, everything very well, but I had to try and stay calm. The, the whole experience, experience was fine. Was the
3: most frightening ten hours of my life. It, it was, was kind of like
0: a little family adventure.
3: hopes will never happen to her. I
0: remember, I remember the, the
3: relief of being that I together. realized he was out there all alone. If, if there's, there's one, one piece of advice, of advice I'd offer other moms, moms out, out there, there, it's to stay it's calm and keep this to the plan. Some parents plan ahead. Some don't. Make sure you know where to find your family in an emergency. Start your plan at ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner.
1: And we can be reached at 805 564 1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So if you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of having Stephanie Walter who is the CEO and f- founder of Herbay Wealth out of Denver, Colorado. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here with us.
2: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: So tell us, how did you come up with the name of your firm, Herbe?
2: Um, It was uh, kind of a nod to my father, who was a second generation uh, German uh, entrepreneur uh, that came over and really, just from watching him growing up, he was always an entrepreneur, and really just kind of opened my eyes to looking at the world in a kind of a different way. And definitely uh, loved the idea. He's passed on now, uh, sixteen years ago, but wanted to um, give him a nod in my in my business. And so, Erbe means uh, legacy in German. And I feel like I want to provide a legacy for myself and my family and, and everyone who I work with.
1: Wonderful. So how did you become, um, or I should probably ask, what does Urbay Wealth do?
2: Um, so what I do specifically is I raise money for syndicated investments, uh, real estate investments. So for someone listening out there, we buy commercial real estate um, in certain markets that, that we feel will perform really well. And then I raise the money, um, to, from people who will be passive investors in, in our investment. And usually they hold on to the money or the money is tied up for about three to five years. Um, we pay, a uh, 8% preferred return. Um, but, my partner and I are on our eighth deal together, and um, we routinely return about twenty percent annualized rate of return. To our
0: and master. do you do you source the real estate, or do you just do you just raise the money for a developer or a, a syndicator?
2: Actually, I raise the money for my partner. Um, And he lives in Florida. And I did that because uh, once I learned about syndication about six years ago and and did my first syndication by myself here in Colorado and realized I never, ever, ever wanted to do a syndication by myself again. Uh, There's just, you know, there were a lot of moving parts. So I met my partner through kind of a networking event and really, our skills very much um, complement each other. He's um, 35 years of a commercial broker in Florida. And so he's fantastic at finding deals and uh, off market deals, which in this um, market, are what we strive to find and then uh and then I raise the money I find the investors for these deals and we're on our eighth deal together.
0: And uh, what's the uh average size of these deals?
2: Um we since we've gotten together we just really had a philosophy of where we kind of wanted to grow organically. We didn't want to go out and buy like a 4 or 500 a unit apartment complex we wanted to kind of start slow um, because we wanted to grow our investor database and make sure that they were really happy with what we're doing and kind of grow slowly so we started you know with smaller um, complexes like 23 units um, where you know moved up now we're at 55 units the one we will be closing in a few weeks is 160 units so what that means as far as cost um the one we're closing um in a couple weeks is 18 million and we closed on one a month ago that was 10 million so, so you, i would so you, say so you're
0: doing you're do basically doing residential
2: yep that that is what we we like is the multi-family we have done a retail center here or there, but largely it's multifamily.
0: And what's the cap rate you're able to buy these at?
2: Well, yeah, we're always looking to buy at least an 8% cap. Um, and at this point, those are off market deals. So if we don't, uh, we're very selective. So we only come across last year, we... Um, We only had two apartment complexes that closed, and that's pretty average. About um, two, we close on a year. So it takes a lot of looking, uh, searching, doing a lot of due diligence until we find one that works for our investors.
0: And this is all in Florida?
2: Yes. Everything we've done, bar one, we did one in Waco, Texas that was brought to us by, by someone. But um, other than that, it's all Florida.
1: And so, so when did you first become, um, or did you discover that you had a passion for real estate, given that your background, you, you owned an insurance agency before you got involved in real estate? So what made you make that change or, and take the jump into real estate?
2: Well, I always loved real estate. I just didn't have a a great deal of education with it. And so I even when I became an insurance agent about 16 years ago, I would buy, um, you know, single family homes in areas where I'm, I'm a native to Colorado. So I had feelings where areas were going to kind of come around and, and, you know, change a lot. And luckily, you know, I made some good decisions and and found those those properties. But um as far as I went to actually a boot camp. I was invited to a boot camp and I was intrigued by the by the title, which was how to you know buy apartment buildings and went in there and heard what a syndication was. And I just really loved the idea. I'd never heard of it. Um, of a group of people who buy, you know, something much bigger than anyone could do on their own. And uh, from then I was just sort of sold on that and found that I really loved raising money. Um, I really loved, you know, getting investors in the deal. And actually they, they some of the wealthy investors have been some of the best teachers for me Because by watching them and what they've done with their money, I sort of changed a lot of the way I was handling my money, which I had planned to hold on to a lot of these single family homes and, and then just wait for the 30 years, have them be paid off and, and then be able to retire. But what I noticed um, from a lot of the wealthy people I worked with is that they were invested in businesses and um, syndications, things that had real cash flow happening in them. Um, my per, my uh, properties that I bought had a lot of appreciation, but not a lot of cash flow. And so by changing, I changed my mindset and kind of my philosophy on that. Moved some money around, and so then this year in July, I sold my agency and retired. But I love raising money, and so I don't intend to stop doing what, I'm, what I am doing. But my passive income has replaced my active income.
0: So will you say you sold your agency, your insurance agency or Urbe?
2: Yep, my insurance agency. And I sold that, yep, July of this year.
0: Uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back.
3: The Land Trust for Santa Barbara County conserves natural resources, agricultural land, and open spaces for the benefit of present and future generations. Here's Executive Director Meredith Hendricks. What we're trying to do at the Land Trust is protect land forever. Agriculture, conservation, habitat, recreation. Our mission is to sustain the beauty and the habitat, the recreation, and the agriculture values throughout Santa Barbara County, every part of it. We'd love to have you sign up for our newsletter and our Electronic newsletter. You can do that through our website, sblandtrust.org. We love telephone calls and, and also write me a handwritten note if you'd prefer, and I'll write you back. Our website is the best place to sign up for regular updates about our work, sblandtrust.org. To learn more about the Land Trust for Santa Barbara County and their efforts to preserve natural resources and agricultural land, go to sblandtrust.org or call 805 966 4520. You use tearless baby shampoo because it's gentle on your baby's eyes. You make sure his toys don't have any sharp edges. You always test the bathwater to make sure it's not too hot. You taught her what to do when the smoke alarm goes off. You make sure she wears a helmet when she rides her bicycle. You put on his sunscreen even when he's embarrassed his friends will see. You do so much to keep your child safe. But are you using the right car seat for your child? Is your child facing the right way in the car seat? Is the seat too big or too small? How do you know when it's time to move your child into the next type of seat? Car crashes are a leading killer of children ages 1 to 13. Protect your child's future at every stage of life. For information on the right seat for your child, visit safercar.gov slash the right seat. That's safercar.gov slash the right seat.
0: A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So, Stephanie, you said before that the time horizon is around five or six years. That's pretty short. How do you ensure that you can actually deliver on that? Real estate typically has a much longer time horizon unless the market's really hot
2: yeah i mean we we've been you know working together uh since 2019 so we're definitely in a cycle um and actually you know at this time we're looking at horizons closer we tell everyone five years but um we have several properties that'll be cycling out in three years and it's simply it's pretty. We just kind of have a, a lot of things happening in Florida. And that's why it's really important to know, you know, if you work with someone in this industry, how familiar are they with the market? What's going on in this market? Well, Florida, it's about 2000 people a day are moving to Florida. Um, so they have severe housing shortages. We've been uh, we're in a lot of different places in Florida, but we um, currently we're going to be closing on our fourth deal in Tallahassee. And we, we love Tallahassee. We just, that has a lot of really interesting things happening in that economy. One is um, they kind of overbuilt the student housing there and there's a severe shortage of just housing for regular people. And it's, it's just growing like gangbusters there. And so I mean, People say that it'll be probably close to 10 years before they can catch up with the building that needs to be done there. So we always, you know, in our projections and everything, we project in our pro forma about a 3% rent growth for the three to five years. But I can tell you from being in that market last year, the rent growth went up 18% uh, just last year. And of course, we're not expecting that to happen you know, for the whole time that we hold the property. But um, there really is something happening in that market right now.
0: Is Florida restrictive as other cities with evictions? Are you allowed to evict people for nonpayments?
2: Yes, it's a very landlord friendly state. So when we were during COVID, uh, our occupancy and our rent collection stayed above 95%.
1: And so when when you talk about, um, you know, Florida and, and the, the fact that they have favorable tax rates over the break, we were talking about something called cost segregation. And could you explain that to us?
2: Yeah, cost segregation is uh, something that's been around a really long time. And actually, um, through this Build Back Better, they haven't made one mention of this particular strategy. Um, which we use on, which we've used on every property we've purchased. Which basically, it's a study where we pay for an engineer to go out to the multifamily property, and they just um, go ahead and categorize every single piece of property. At, so we're talking flooring doors, doorknobs, lighting, HVAC equipment, and they break it down into all these different categories. And essentially, what they do is they accelerate depreciation to one, five or seven years. What that means for our investors is that, you know, roughly, I tell someone if they're going to invest $100,000, they should expect to get between 35 and 45% back as a as uh, a tax benefit. So if you invest a hundred thousand, you would expect to get 35,000 or 45,000 back as a tax benefit really as a, as a write-off. Um, I've talked to a lot of wealthy investors and wondering why this is something that's never been brought up. You know, the 1031 is definitely was something that, uh, the lawmakers were discussing, and we I couldn't really come up with a good reason why they didn't think of, of addressing this particular tax strategy, um, other than maybe it's something that the politicians take advantage of themselves and don't want to touch, but I, I don't know.
0: But I can give you a reason, though, uh, and that is, uh, and I'm older than both of you, so I remember uh, back in the 80s, Uh, a thing, a word called recapture. And what recapture is, is when you end up with no cost basis and the real estate is either sold or bankrupt uh, below your basis, which means the investor is going to end up with a phantom uh, tax uh, gain right when he was told that he or she lost all their investment. So some investors and developers are afraid to go too aggressive on on depreciation because they don't want to put their investors in that situation where they have to go and ask for money during the worst possible time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It, it it works it works when it works it's sort of like what we talked about in the beginning of the show margin debt i mean it, it's a good way to sell a product and it's a good advantage to you know uh, rich investors but there's always that risk if things go south you, you may get stuck and you have to you know do the worst telephone call in the world to your investors and saying you know you, you have a tax liability and no cash coming in
3: right.
0: on a happier note diane yeah. what what's the next question <laughs>
3: Neil, you're like a doom and gloom over
1: there. I see things. You got out all your gratitude. (laughs)
2: Right, right.
1: So let's let's transition and talk a little bit about 1031 exchanges. So if I were an investor that was looking to sell my, let's say, single family home, much like you did, Stephanie, with your personal situation, would I be able to become a part? Could I use a 1031 to be a part of your syndication?
2: Yes. The, well, the 1031 needs to be, you know, another, not your, your house that you're living in. It needs to be a rental property, but essentially you can sell that and you can roll it over into anything. It can be, uh, it could go into an apartment syndication. It could go, um, you know, to buy land, it could go uh, to buy an industrial building. So yes, you can use that, you need to, you know, be in contact with the syndicator who you're planning to work with, you know, prior to selling the property, or, you know, right around the beginning of the time that you're going to be selling the property, because there is that time limit that must be accommodated. And so, um, yeah, there needs to be that open communication. But yes.
1: So Now, is that something that you help your investors do, um, the 1031 exchanges or
2: no? No. Well, we refer them out to, you know, to be sure that they, you know, know the timelines and then they work through a third party uh, so that they're um, taken care of through that whole process. But they never want to take control of that money when they sell the property. It always wants to go in. It always needs to go into that third party. And so aside from that requirement,
1: what other requirements are there in order to affect an exchange?
2: Yeah, the, um, there, it's pretty simple, but the, you know, the timelines are non-negotiable. So it's, you know, when you uh, sell the property, you have 45 days to name up to three different properties that you'd like to um, designate that are should be valued at the same or more than the property that you sold. And then from the time of you selling that um, the property, you have 180 days to uh, complete the whole transaction. So from sale of your uh, rental property to purchasing your replacement property, that's 180 days total.
1: So if they were doing a syndication, they just have to be very careful that you close within that time frame in order mm-hmm. to have the proceeds from, or the gain from the original piece of real estate not to be taxed.
2: Correct. Yep.
0: And so- Do you, I'm so, do 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 oh, sorry, go ahead, Diane. No, go ahead. Do, do you, when you raise money, are you also raising money for CapEx?
2: Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: So you are trying to create an investment where you're not going to get a capital call.
2: Correct. Correct. Knock on wood. I've I've been involved in eight of these. Never had a capital call. My partner's been around a lot longer than me, and he's never had a capital call. So yeah, that's huge and foremost in our minds.
0: Well, uh, when are you moving to Florida?
2: Um. I- i love colorado and i can do this from here and my family's here and um uh, i like to visit but the humidity is is a lot for me so no i'm not i don't plan to move anytime soon. You're, you're listening you're
0: you're listening to money talk on am 1290 kzsb and we'll be right back The Greater Santa Barbara Hispanic Chamber of Commerce is the premier advocate for the Santa Barbara County Hispanic business community. Here's Miguel Avala. The Hispanic Chamber primarily is the Latino-owned businesses. They need uh, uh, advocates, they need lobbying, they need representation. We are very active creating, generating events for networking. And while you're networking, socializing, having fun, you are at the same time taking care of business. For the last past 10 years, there's been a 34% growth in Latino-owned businesses. Latino women are the leaders, number one leaders in all this growth. And the fastest growing population in this country is the Latino population and we all consume you know and we all look after our families so all of that is translated into contributing
1: to the economy
0: to learn more about the greater santa barbara hispanic chamber of commerce check out the website at gsbhcc.org or call 805-896-0851
3: as a parent it's what you do you protect your children you teach them how to brush their teeth how to wash their hands to look both ways when crossing the street you take them to the doctor when they're sick and you vaccinate them and you vaccinate them and you vaccinate them i didn't know there was a vaccine for meningococcal meningitis and my daughter
1: died and my daughter died and my daughter died, and my daughter died. There wasn't a vaccine to protect against strain B,
0: meningococcal disease, when my daughter died.
3: When my daughter died. When my daughter died. But now there is. Just get the facts and vaccinate. It's the right thing to do. Please visit nmaus.org. A public service message from the National Meningitis Association. Our website, NMAUS.org, has details about the two vaccines that protect preteens and teens. That's www.nmaus.org.
0: Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about.
1: And so we're we're speaking with Stephanie Walter, who is the CEO and founder of Urbe um, Investments, and we're talking about real estate today. And so, um, you know, Stephanie, you also do a lot of um, speaking and webinars uh, talking about various topics in the real estate industry. And one of them is reasons not to put your money in a 401k, which
2: I cannot think of one. So I would love to know your thoughts on that. Yes. um, Well, uh, I am going to go back to just kind of a mindset change and sort of I had to come to this when I I'd been working with a lot of very wealthy people. And I did notice that, um, you know, as I go through their financial statements, I couldn't really, um, you know, a lot of them didn't have a lot in the 401ks. If they had them, it was, you know, at a, a job that they'd had many, many years ago. But what I found interesting is most of their investments were put into things majority of the investments were put into things like uh, syndications, businesses, um, things like that. The small amount were, were put into stocks. But um, when you talk to them and trying to figure out why it is that they look at it this way, uh, what they, they had told me was that basically they want their money um, accessible and being able to be working for them at any time, they want that money to be providing a cash flow that is available to them, not in you know twenty or thirty years, but something that's available to them right now. If and if you'd ask the investors I work with what they find more important, cash flow or accumulation. Or I'm sorry, cash flow or net worth, they're gonna tell you a hundred times over it's cash flow. That's what they're investing is designed to do is to give them a cash flow every day.
0: Of course, it's easy not to buy, not to have a four hundred one k when you're already rich. Uh, the, you know the, the, you know that obviously, if you're rich, you don't need it. Um, so, but interestingly, you're, you said that liquidity is important. So, you know, I would think the last thing people want to invest in is a real estate, and b even worse than that would be a syndication where you have no control.
2: Well, the the syndication, what I found is is very interesting, is that they really do. And a lot of people are nervous to get into syndication, but they don't, uh, you know, there's a few things that you really have to do your due diligence on the team to see what kind of experience they have in the market, what kind of experience they have doing this sort of thing. Um, go back to their last few deals uh, to see how they've done and really just get their experience. Once they can determine that, you uh, we have investors, like I said, that have invested with us. Uh, We're on our eighth deal. And I have investors who've invested with me in our first deal together, and now are investing with us on our eighth deal together. And that's how we designed kind of our business plan to be, to attract the investors to invest again and again. And so it really does depend on you, you know, it's not every syndication, not every syndicator invests in the same thing. They invest in a lot of different types of real estate. They might not have the experience. So so there is some due diligence to do.
0: And so so what, what, um, what type of leverage do you employ? And part two of that question is, do you have one particular bank that is supportive of you? So while you're negotiating a deal you know, you've got the ability to, to finance it?
2: Yeah, we work with a lot of different banks. We are a preferred, um, we are a preferred borrower of Freddie and Fannie. Um, Most of the deals that we do are at uh, 75% um, and then 25% uh, we raise that money as long and including the CapEx, we which is on top of that capital X is, is the expenses that we foresee, you know, incurring in the property.
1: And so how do you and your partner get compensated through, through the structure?
2: Yeah, we set up all of our, you know, hey I, I would think the majority of everything we set up is is almost identical because we don't like, there's a lot of syndicators out there that do waterfalls and, you know, say, we'll give you, you know, this percentage of the deal and then say we exceed 20% return after that, we'll break up our our profits 50-50. That's a lot of information, but essentially in our deals, it's 65% of the deal is to the investors, uh, 35% of the deal is to us. And um, that's not direct. I mean, that is to us, but we do all of the, you know, the asset management, the property management, you know, all of those, those things to operate. It really is like operating a business um, when you get to into these multifamily apartments.
0: But you have to have a a local management company, don't you, if you're all over the place?
2: No, we're in Florida, largely, and our management company is in-house. And we figured that out pretty quickly, just because um, we do have that property that's in Waco, Texas, and we have a third party that manages that. And it's not that it isn't, it's it's a great and it's been a profitable um, venture there, but We've noticed by having the in-house property management, we just have way, way more control. Um, you know, we can operate a lot more efficiently when that part of, you know, that part of the business is within our control.
1: So how many people do you employ or is it a contractor situation with the um, with the uh, property management piece?
2: From everybody... That that works in in both my my company, which is AirBay Wealth, and my partners, Terra Equity Group. There's about twenty people.
1: Oh wow! Okay, and and, and a portion yeah. of people are dedicated to that property management piece of each of the the buildings. Correct. Yeah, and
0: I, and I assume when you said it go, you're going 65 35 the thirty five is after the investors get their money back, or is it? Uh, does it start from the beginning thirty-five, sixty-five?
2: the right well the investors always will get their money back but we have the eight percent they're given as a preferred return so from the moment that they what that means is the moment that they paid us the investment and we close on the deal and then we Take three months to get the the deal stabilized, and then the cash flow comes in, and that cash flow is the expenses, um, the income minus the expenses, and of that amount of money, eight percent is paid to our investors, and then the remaining amount is split the sixty five thirty five.
1: Okay, so it's a split after you you reach that 8% that the investors get back. Correct. And so is that 65-35, is that also the ownership stake of the buildings? Correct. In addition, across the board.
2: Yep, we don't do the different, you know, there are a lot of people that do different waterfall type of splits, but that's just what works for us. And we keep it the same. Um, You know, there's nothing that changes that. It's always the sixty-five
0: thirty-five. You're listening to Money Talk on AM twelve ninety KZSB, and we'll be right back with our final segment.
3: We can help him to the, the
2: pain. Hi, I'm Eddie Taduri. I'm the founder of the Rhythmic Arts Project or TRAP as it's better known,
0: I wanted to tell you a little bit about the work we've been doing during this time of Corona. Our virtual classes have been reaching out and inspiring students around the world,
2: as well as right here at home. Our primary objective is to promote the inclusion of people with different abilities, as well as their typical peers in all aspects of everyday life. Like everyone struggling to make ends meet in our non-profit world, we depend on donations from folks like you. Please review the website at traplearning.org and give what you can. I'm very grateful.
1: This is the story of a very special woman.
3: but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org/caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So to be an investor in your uh, funds, uh, do you have to be what's known as a qualified investor, uh, having a certain net worth? And uh, the second part of that question is, what is the average investor's investment?
2: Yeah, um, for ours, yes. Um, we do the five hundred six Cs, which mean you have to be an accredited investor. So, yes, you need to have at least a net worth of a million dollars minus your primary residence, or you can qualify based on your income, which would be two hundred thousand if you're single, three hundred thousand if you're married.
0: And so, what is the average investment of uh, um, your fund?
2: It sort of depends. I mean, we. I'm gearing to talking to a lot of people that, you know, really haven't heard of this type of investing before. Um, so we usually say 100000 is the minimum investment. But for certain, you know, people, if it's their first time investing, um, will... Um, move that to fifty thousand.
0: So, so you have to basically uh, have a, you have another role in which is to deal with a bunch of investors. It, investor yeah. relations becomes an important part of your role.
2: Correct. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. The most I I love it. <laughs> I was I was in insurance before, so I I love customer service. I really love this type of of investor relations because you get to really i mean a lot of people in this day and age they're not used to picking up the phone and being able to reach someone you know without having to go through a whole you know litany of of instructions to get where they want to go and so um just you know the little bits of customer service i find that people are you know they're just thrilled with
0: have you been able to borrow money without a personal guarantee
2: do we uh, invest? Do we no, are have, you good, have you?
0: Have you uh, have the banks given you the seventy five percent without having to get from you or your partner a personal guarantee?
2: Uh, yes, and it's a non recourse loans so are everything that we do, which um, is anything over a million dollars. And yes, that's what we do. Our non recourse loans.
1: So as you start to um, go through different deal flows, you know, once you get to your 16th deal, if you you continue to add investors to the mix, I've got to imagine that you'd have to hire some more people on the um, client, on the investor management or investor relations piece of that. How much of, how many investors overall do you have? And is there a right quote unquote number that you're looking for in overall deals?
2: No, I mean, I just find that people that invest with us usually come in with a lower amount, especially if they're not familiar with the deal. And then in their next deal, or I think what we see a lot is people that have a lot of rental income, or rental properties. And um, when they see that this money is uh, kind of takes the stress out of being a landlord, and they're able to have the cash flow without worrying about those those 2 a.m. calls about having to come fix the furnace or whatever, Um, I find that once they've invested once, then they want to sell the property and move uh, the money into our next investment. Um, But yeah, as far as like a number of investors, it's just, we have them kind of all over the board. So I, I mean, we're probably, gosh, right now, I think we're approaching 100. So it's a pretty small group.
1: Now, if somebody was listening today and um, wanted to get in touch with you to find out more about maybe your ninth and tenth deal coming down the pike, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you or learn more about your business and how to be, how to become a part of your syndicate? Yeah,
2: um, the best way would be to go to my website, which is www airbay, E-R-B-E, wealth.com. And um, there's, there's a lot of content. Uh, I put tons of content on the website that really just kind of educates people to this type of investing the there's a new uh report that you can download which is the five reasons that this type of investing might be for you
0: we'll have to Um, leave we'll have to leave it there stephanie thank you thank you so much for being our guest thank you all for listening you've been listening to money talk and we'll see you all next week
3: It's